0: congratulations. You just got out of a toxic marriage. You're a new divorcee ready to hit the dating scene. You've created a captivating profile on silver singles. Or maybe you don't want to be tied down just yet. Maybe you want to be a little risque and join Tinder. You get flooded with proposals. Some seem too good to be true and off you go on your first date. You wake up the next morning in a fog and realize that maybe you're in a college dorm with a man half your age and you run as fast as you can. You convince yourself that you needed that moment of madness. You're wild, you're free, and guess what? Two weeks later, it hits you like a ton of bricks. Your body starts to ache. You think you might be getting the flu, but then you start developing painful, itchy genital blisters. You're secretly hoping that it's a reaction to the tight leotards you wore the day before at your jazzercise class. But instead, you immediately remember the one scene from The Hangover where the father-in-law tells him his son-in-law as he sees him off to Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except for herpes. That shit will come back with you. Hello, my fellow clitizens, and welcome to Vigenius. I'm your host, Dr. Elena Rodriguez, here to enlighten you about today's topic genital herpes. I picked this topic because it seems as though lately I'm seeing a dramatic rise in the number of genital herpes cases. This diagnosis is really hard to digest when you're first told that you have it. Many of my patients sob uncontrollably and they feel like their world is caving in. Sometimes they know that their own risky behavior would have eventually caught up with them. But truthfully, the vast majority of my patients are paralyzed with shock, fear, anguish, despair, guilt. Many feel like they're doomed to a sexless life because they could never muster up the courage to tell any new partner that they have herpes. It is truly a devastating diagnosis, and I'm not here to sugarcoat it either. But I am here to inform you that if you have it, please know that you're not alone, that it will get better. And if you don't have it, It's out there, so you need to take care of yourself. So let's get to the nitty-gritty. What is genital herpes? Genital herpes is an HSV virus. HSV is just our short-term name for it which stands for herpes simplex virus. And there are two strains of the virus. One is HSV-1 and the other is HSV-2. HSV-1 tends to affect the oral mucosa. So when you see people with ulcerations in their mouth, um, people call them cold sores, that typically is HSV-1. HSV-2 uh, tends to have a preference towards the genital area, however, both strains have been found in both locations. HSV is transmitted through unprotected vaginal anal, or oral sex. It can also be transmitted by pregnancy, so during labor as the baby is passing through the vaginal canal, or even during nursing, and it classically presents with painful, itchy blisters. The ulcers can last 7 to 10 days before they scab and they resolve, and the outbreaks initially are very frequent, so people just are super annoyed when they first get it because it just seems like every month or every two weeks, they're getting an outbreak. But eventually, as time passes, these outbreaks um, start to um, diminish in numbers. Most outbreaks occur during times of stress or when your immune system is lowered. Um, Instances, for example, like when you're catching the cold or the flu, um, sometimes ulcerations can occur when you're exposed to the sun. And so if you get a little bit of a sunburn, sometimes you can get the ulcerations in your mouth. Um, Tissue trauma, like having sex or biting your lip, can also cause an an outbreak. The first infection tends to be the most brutal. It occurs um, usually anywhere from two to 12 days after exposure, and there can be multiple ulcers, painful urination, fevers, headaches, body aches, you name it. Um, Sometimes you can get swelling of the lymph nodes in the pelvic area. And these ulcers can take um, up to 19 days to resolve. The symptoms tend to be a little bit more severe in women than in men. And sometimes they can be so bad that women can present with retention of urine. And part of this happens because the urine is so acidic that when it comes in contact with these open sores, it can be extremely painful. So women just hesitate to, to pee. Uh, things like sitz baths with Epsom salts definitely help with this problem. Or using a local topical numbing uh, medication can help as well. Some patients can have what's called a non primary infection, meaning that they've been exposed to the virus before, like HSV 1. So you can have oral ulcers, and then now they're being exposed to genital HSV 2. Usually, these types of infections tend not to be as severe because the patient has already developed an immunity to a very similar virus, HSV-1, and vice versa. Recurrent infections refer to reactivation of HSV. Um, These ulcers tend not to be as abundant, and they tend to resolve a lot quicker than a primary infection. So in whom do we see transmission? Well, usually it occurs with new sexual contacts. The median duration before a person becomes infected is about three and a half months. And usually it takes about 40 sexual acts. Now, obviously, that number can be a lot quicker if the partner that you're with has active lesions. Um, We see it in people who do not use condoms. And um, typically the time to conversion is greater in partners who disclosed, meaning if your partner told you that they had herpes it will take you a lot longer about they say 270 days compared to 60 days if your partner didn't tell you and the reason for that is because obviously you're being a lot more careful hopefully you're using condoms hopefully that your partner because they were responsible enough to tell you will tend to protect you meaning they won't have sex with you if they have active lesions but the bigger question is does your partner know? Is he or she more um, that they're more infective than usual? Meaning, they have genital herpes. Are they able to tell you, "Hey, we can't have sex right now because I have active lesions"? Well, the answer to that is yes and no. You know, twenty five percent of patients who have um, herpes are completely asymptomatic. That's pretty scary, meaning they have these active lesions, but they don't really um, have any symptoms. And obviously, this is the time when they have the highest viral uh, shedding and they're the most contagious. 50% of them definitely will feel a tingling or a shooting pain, either in their buttocks, their legs, or their hips, and that's how people know, hey, I may be getting a lesion, or, or they they know that they have active lesions. Um, and the reason why they get this uh, referred pain, you know, to the legs or some other area of their body where maybe they don't have active lesions is because herpes tends to lie dormant in the nervous system. And so the same nerves that innervate your thighs or your buttocks lie close to the nerves that innervate your pelvic area. So what are some of the complications of HSV infection? Well, the, the biggest things that can happen are um, what's called asymptomatic meningitis. This occurs in 8% of patients. And if you were to test the spinal fluid or cerebral spinal fluid of a person that has herpes meningitis, you would suspect that the virus is present because there could be a predominance of lymphocytes and a normal glucose concentration. So the difference between a viral infection of the brain, by the way, meningitis is an infection of the brain. Remember, I told you herpes hangs out in the nervous system. So if it affects the brain, it it can cause a swelling of the brain. And The way that you tell the difference between a viral meningitis versus a bacterial meningitis is through uh, the concentration of sugar in the cerebrospinal fluid. Bacteria love sugar. So the sugar concentrations, uh, if you have bacterial meningitis, are going to be much lower than if you have viral meningitis. So viral meningitis, you'll have a normal concentration of sugar. Another complication is that it can cause sacral radiculitis, which means that the virus has invaded that portion of your nervous system that tells your bladder to pee, and you end up with urinary retention. When this happens, you have to introduce a little catheter through the urethra in order to urinate until the infection and the inflammation has passed. In some patients, the infection is so severe that they experience leg weakness And this is referred to as Ellsberg syndrome. Now, thank God, these complications are very rare, but they do occur. Proctitis or inflammation of the prostate. So this is when HSV affects men, is typically obviously seen in men who have sex with men. The leading cause of proctitis is gonorrhea. So about 20% of, of cases come from gonorrhea. But the second leading cause is herpes. If you have herpes, 89% will have recurrence in the first year, 38% will have 6 or more recurrences, and 20% of patients will have more than 10 recurrences. Patients with a longer initial infection that lasts five or more weeks are known to have more frequent recurrences than patients with a shorter duration of their initial infection. If your immune system is already weakened, you're more likely to have recurrent infections than someone with a robust immune system. So what is viral shedding? HSV-2 is associated with more frequent asymptomatic viral shedding than HSV-1, and it's highest during the first three months following resolution of the initial infection. So HSV shedding is more frequent in the first year following the initial infection, so 26% of the time you will be shedding the virus, compared to 9% of the time in those patients who have had HSV for more than 10 years. So what about your future partners? What is their risk of getting it from you? 10% of couples will get it in their first year. So this is the highest transmission form from male to female, 17 versus 4%. If a female has never been exposed to HSV-1 or HSV-2, her risk of getting it is higher. That's 32% and 70% of infections occur during asymptomatic viral shedding. So remember I told you 25% of people with HSV don't even know that that they're um, shedding. So that's why 70% of the infections occur. Obviously, you would hope that most people that know that they're shedding would tell their partners and therefore would abstain from sex. But There is that instance where 25% of patients could be shedding, not know it, and obviously they're having sex, and this is where the highest rates of infections occur. Um, The risk of HIV, um, so having HSV-2 has been linked to an increased risk of acquiring HIV. Obviously, If you're getting HSV-2, that means that you are probably exhibiting riskier behavior, meaning not using a condom. But also, if you have ulcerations, um, this makes an easier path for HIV to enter the bloodstream. And HIV virus has been isolated in these HSV ulcerations. Other conditions that cause ulcerations include syphilis, but typically syphilis cause painless, indurated, clean-based um, ulcers. These are called shankers. You can get ulcers from drug eruptions, so if you're taking medications that cause ulcerations. And there's another condition called Bichette syndrome that can also cause ulceration. So typically what we do to differentiate between these ulcers is to do a viral culture with PCR. PCR stands for polymerase chain reaction. These cultures check for the presence of the virus. You can do serology for antibodies for HSV-1 and HSV-2, and also direct fluorescence antibody. We don't recommend routine screening in asymptomatic adolescents and adults. The reason for this is because there are significant limitations of screening. Currently, the screening that we have for HSV-2 has a very low specificity and a high false positive rate. Many patients end up with positive HSV-2 but have never shown any symptoms of an infection. And then they end up being completely stressed out that they have HSV-2 when in reality, they had a false positive test. And currently, the test for HSV-1 cannot differentiate oral from a genital infection. So, given these limitations, the anxiety and disruption of personal relationships that can be associated with the positive test outweigh the potential benefit of screening. So please don't ask to get tested for this if you don't have any symptoms. I find that the best test is to actually get a viral culture of, you know, if you have a lesion. Okay, so what do you do if you've been diagnosed? Number one. Do not despair. I know that it's a devastating diagnosis and it certainly should make you realize that the one person in charge of protecting you is you. Love yourself enough to always use a condom until you've met that one person in your life who completely rocks your world and you know that you want to spend the rest of your sex life with them. Otherwise, it's just not worth the risk. Trust me, I've been around many crying patients to know that if they could reverse time, the one thing that they would have done differently was used a condom. Number two, The condom doesn't always protect you, so don't turn off the light. Check that shit out. Put on your Inspector Gadget monocle and inspect with capital letters... If you find some weird ulcer, lump or bump or something that just doesn't feel right, that toy that was waiting for you at home will never infect you. So don't take the risk, especially if it's someone you met on Tinder, who's probably doing this with a different person every night. This goes for both men and women. Number three, Be aware and disclose. I know it's hard to tell your potential partner that you have this, but trust me, it is the responsible thing to do. If you were on the receiving end of this diagnosis, you know how life-altering this diagnosis can be. So tell them. Let them make their own decision about whether or not they want to take this risk with you. Remember, even if you have no symptoms whatsoever, 25% of the time, you may not feel a thing and you could still be shedding the virus. Number four, treat with medication. You do not have to suffer. There are antiviral medications like acyclovir, valcyclovir, Valtrex, these can help lower the number of recurrences and the duration of the infection. If you're getting frequent infections, you can take this medication daily to help keep them from happening so frequently. Make that appointment. Don't be afraid or ashamed. No doctor should ever judge you, and if they do, get the hell out of there and find someone more understanding number five if you've been infected and you still want to be on a dating app try positive singles this is an app for single people who have hsv and want to date other people who have it too it has the largest confidential herpes and std dating and support community since 2001 That's all, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please tune in weekly to get your daily dose of Vaginal Genius information. Email me at at elenaathevagenius.com or send me a direct message on my Instagram account, Dr. Elena Rodriguez. As usual, I promise to keep all your questions confidential. Have a great week.